This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by ECJ Contacts. Good evening and good morning or good day if you're in the U.S. Thank you for joining us. Today on HEG.tax, every week we do live streams on tax-related topics. And this evening, we are honored to have with us Damien Malone, who is going to lead us on a presentation on Ireland taxes, and then we'll jump into the questions that you sent us. So we do have that Q&A afterwards. Just to remind you that this is being live streamed and it is being recorded. So if you're joining us on Zoom and you do not want your image to be captured, just keep your camera switched off. For those, and I'm gonna mute, right. I'm also gonna mute you. So please keep your mic on mute. If you wanna ask a question, regardless of which platform you're looking at us on, feel free to type in the box below and we will, handle the questions or comments in the order in which we receive them. Of course, I'm legally obligated to say that nothing we say here should be construed as advice. We are not giving you information and you're gonna run off and do whatever we say, right? We're having a general conversation about general principles. You can treat it as education or you can treat it as entertainment. Now, when you're ready to, to make decisions that are about your, your business or your personal tax situation, you need to retain someone who will know your situation inside out and can advise you accordingly. So again, we are not giving tax advice. So without further ado, I introduce you to Damien. Damien, over to you. You're on Hi the guys. Mute. Right, yeah. Hope everyone can hear me okay. And I hope my internet stays good. Uh, I, as a, uh, we had a little mini crisis before we came on. We, we, we have a storm in my part of the world in 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 Ireland, and uh, my internet was down. So hopefully it stays going and all that. If it drops off, I, I'll have to reconnect on my phone. So I'm just going to share my screen with you all just to get my slides up, and we'll uh, we'll get into um, we'll get into my piece. Um, so um, hope you can all see. Um, see my screen there now. So I'm Damien Malone. I'm the founder of Malone & Co. Um, we'd be, by Dublin standards, considered a mid-size um, accountancy and tax practice. And um, we're based on the west side of Dublin. And we have, as of now, I think we have 28 staff, soon to be 30 um, in, the, in the new year. And that's a mix between the different disciplines that we, um, that we service between general accounting, audit, tax, corporate services, and company secretarial. So um, the, the uh, title of our uh, chat this evening, US expat taxes in Ireland, guys. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a, a quick rundown of what the taxes in Ireland actually are to begin with. Um, and I suppose then how they impact um, somebody coming to live in Ireland um, for the first time that's, um, that's not an Irish national. So our first tax is income tax, and this is really tax on people's um, on the on the income that they earn, and Annie, I suppose, investments that they generate. 
So in Ireland, it's called income tax, but really we have three different, I suppose, strands of uh, direct taxes on people's income. So the first is PAY, which is pay as you wear. The second is universal social charge, USC, which was introduced um, in our recessionary in our recessionary years when things were uh, were not so good um, on the economic front. And the third is PRSI, which is pay-related social insurance. So each of the three are taxed completely independently to the other, and they all have their own, um, I suppose, their own calculation, um, their own calculation to be done. And I suppose we'll come to that a little bit later. Obviously, if you're a if you're a self-employed person or if you're an employee, there's a different process as to how income tax is calculated and collected on your um, on your pay. Corporation tax, which has been a big money spinner um, in recent times for the Irish exchequer with the amount of, um, I suppose, international business and international people that want to set up their business and investment interests to Ireland. And our headline rate for that um, is obviously the, the, the 12.5% rate. And that's generally covers all forms of um, trading income. And um, there's different tax rates then, obviously, for corporation tax for um, passive or investment income um, as well, which um, we can touch on a bit later. Capital gains tax is where we, um, is the tax in Ireland that's triggered when one um, sells or disposes of a asset uh, at a gain, of course, and the headline rate for that is 33% on profits made from, um, you know, from such gains. Um, there are quite a few um, exemptions to that and uh, I suppose variants of it as well for business people, and we'll get to that later as well. Capital acquisitions tax, this is essentially gift and inheritance tax. So if you come into a gift, um, or if you are in receipt of inheritance, this, is, uh, this tax is what applies to that. And the rate of that, similar to capital gains tax, is 33%. Again, with different, um, different calculations and different, um, I suppose, levels at which the tax applies, depending on a variety of circumstances. Value-added tax, VAT. So for anyone living in America, they probably, well, they, they may not have experienced this before, but this is a tax that's generally lev levied on consumers on everyday goods and services. That's there. And again, if someone was coming to Ireland to um, stop a business in Ireland for the first time. Oh, some background noise there, guys. Hopefully it's cleared up there now. Um, if somebody was coming to Ireland for to set up a business for the first time, um, you, you actually, when you uh, take on or assume the role as a business owner, uh, more often than not, you will be obliged to collect VAT on behalf of the Irish government. And um, or if it's in any EU jurisdiction, um, it, you, you become the VAT collector when you're in business. Stamp duty is a tax on legal documents, and um, such as if you come over to buy a house, you would pay stamp duty. You would pay stamp duty on purchasing your house, and that's essentially what that is. And we then, a couple of years ago, we introduced local property tax, and that's a tax on property ownership, essentially. And depending on where your property is located and the value of your property, that determines um, that determines the, the the level you pay, and it's an annual charge. So there's the taxes that we encounter on a, a you know on a on a on a, on a periodic basis in Ireland on an annual basis as we go along. So what determines the charge to tax in Ireland? So obviously it's based on a couple of these concepts that we have in tax. And um, first one being residence. And really 
to be classed as a as as tax resident in Ireland, you have to be here for 183 days or more in a calendar year, or uh, between 280 days between two years. So, if you're not in Ireland in 2021 by uh, for 183 days or more, uh, but you are in Ireland between 2020 and 2021 for 280 days or more, you you could still be classed as a resident. Um, in Ireland, and therefore that's when residence tax kicks in. Um, again, where we have cases where uh, an individual could have um, could, could could satisfy the residence criteria of two jurisdictions, or um, or, or, or potentially more, what they, 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 they tend to look at various factors, such as you know where's the, the person's, I suppose, centre of vital and economic interests, and where they would have a permanent home available to them. So. For anybody sort of floating around a place that is concerned about this, um, uh, happy to hear, I suppose, and give our thoughts on that if they're maybe um, considering either coming to Ireland or they're spending a lot of time in Ireland and don't want to trigger a, um, a, tax, um, a tax residency scenario where the Irish state will have a claim on their income or gains. We have this other concept then called ordinarily resident, and this is where an individual is resident in Ireland for three consecutive years. So if you're resident here for three years, you automatically become ordinarily resident and it takes three years to lose your ordinarily resident status. Um, the final concept and what's very important in Ireland um, and what very advantageous for, um, for overseas people coming to uh, live and work in Ireland for the first time is the concept of domicile. Um, and this domicile is generally everybody has a domicile. It's generally um, where you know where you are, where, where you were born, or where your father was born. You generally assume that um, country as your country of domicile, and it is a difficult thing to change. And um, so, if it's a case you you know you see or you 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 choose that you, uh, you 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 don't want to be considered domicile of a particular country for whatever reason. Um, you have to have a very compelling reason. There must be uh, a, a lot of, I suppose, compelling evidence to indicate that that is your that that is your true um, that, that is your true position with that. <clears throat> so the, um, the 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 domicile piece leads into our next slide, which is um, on foreign income taxation in Ireland, and really disadvantageous arrangement that we have um, for overseas individuals that we overseas individuals that we call the remittance basis of tax here. And this works by if you come and live and work in Ireland, but you're not an Irish national, you're not of Irish domicile, you only pay tax in Ireland on the money that you remit into Ireland. And that's a very powerful relief that once it's utilized correctly and managed accordingly, um, you know, gives people a very good opportunity of accumulating significant wealth outside of the state while enjoying all the benefits um, of living and working in Ireland and even availing of the, the Irish tax reliefs that are there on Irish source income on that. So that applies to income and it applies to, um, to, to, most, um, to most gains as well from a capital gains perspective where you're only liable to gains that you remit into Ireland. Um, with that, and of course, as well, it generally only applies if you have value and, and, and wealth generated prior to arriving in Ireland. You can generally um, you can generally bring that into Ireland without triggering the tax um, in Ireland on that. And 
um, I suppose there's a, a distinction that um, that you would generally like to, um, I, I suppose, see a client make between uh, income and capital funds that they would have, the income being the annual periodic income they generate for their livelihood and um, their income or their capital funds then being their essentially their accumulated wealth. And it should be uh, purely able to distinguish like for like in a case where a person is non-domiciled in Ireland but is residing here um, and availing of the remittance basis of taxation. Um, final point then, just from a capital acquisitions tax point of view, and if you're going to be residing in Ireland for, to, to, for capital acquisitions tax to trigger, uh, you have to be resident for five consecutive years here to fall within the charge to tax of that. Or it must consist of the, 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 the inheritance that you would make must consist of our situated property or the person given you um, uh, the deceased person that you're going to take the inheritance from uh, must have been resident or ordinarily resident here at the day to day. So again, in most cases, most inheritances for people that have that have been in Ireland within five years wouldn't be caught within the um, within the charge to capital acquisitions tax here. So just to talk a little bit about the um, about the filing regime in Ireland and what that entails for someone who comes and. Uh, lives and work in Ireland. So obviously for income tax, um, people who are uh, business owners are people who are employed but would have um, other investment sources of income have to file an annual tax return and it's, um, it's called a Form 11. In some cases it's actually called a Form 12, uh, which is just a shortened version of that. Um, but that's what the annual tax declaration form is. It's 20 something pages to complete and it's quite a, a daunting exercise for someone who has never saw one before. So generally the return is due by the end of October for each preceding calendar year. So up to, uh, up to about uh, four or five weeks ago, my office would have been extremely busy completing all our um, clients' income tax returns for the 2020 year. So you have to the end of October and um, in the year after to file and pay your tax. So you actually do get um, you actually do get quite a, a bit of leeway when it comes to actually settling up your affairs, which is sometime after the actual income can be earned and generated. From a corporation tax perspective, so again, this would be a scenario where someone comes to Ireland and decides to set up a company to to, to, to run their business interest through, um, you generally pay your corporation tax once a year, and that's generally on the 23rd day of the ninth month after the financial period end. Um, we do have a preliminary tax regime in Ireland, um, guys, and, 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 and really how this works is after um, your first year in either the income tax or corporation tax system, um, you are supposed to make a preliminary tax payment um, for that year. So it's a way of getting a, a, a down payment in respect of the current year. And there's a different rule for um, income tax uh, and, and for corporation tax. But just to take note of that, that uh, that is a requirement after year one. Um, for people who establish and set up a business in Ireland, they will have to register for VAT, most likely, um, if the services that they are, that they are providing are valuable and if they're, the, the services are in excess of the the registration thresholds, which are quite low. VAT returns are either submitted on a bi-monthly basis, four-monthly, six-monthly, or you can apply to have them on an annual basis. And what determines your filing period is the, the level of liability that you have for them. 
payroll returns. So if you set up a business and you employ staff, you have to register as an employer and you have to operate a payroll. We had big change with this over the last two years or so with the introduction of what was called PAY modernization, which really brings operating payroll into, um, into real time reporting. So every time we do a payroll submission for a client, whether it be weekly or monthly, um, the figures get um, communicated to the tax office at that period. It used to be the case that that was only once a year and we'd file what the actual um, staff numbers and staff figures and tax declarations and so forth were. That has changed. And really, that's the way tax is going in um, tax and VAT and, and all the main tax heads is going now, where it's real-time reporting um, of all taxes. We do have a, 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 a somewhat penal regime in Ireland if you uh, get into difficulty and um, are delinquent in your tax affairs over here. So if you file late, you can be surcharged on your tax liability. And um, if you delay by a, a you know managing more than a short period of time, they can charge you interest. They can charge you fixed penalties. And that are a predetermined around, uh, amount based on the actual return that you didn't file. And if you're unfortunate enough to fall foul and, and uh, come under scrutiny from an audit perspective, um, if, you're, if, if, if they audit you and they get a settlement from you for more than 30,000, your name does get published periodically. Um, every couple of months, they publish the defaulters list, as we call it, in the, in the local media in Ireland. So just to be aware of that as well. Um, I have a slide on the social security system in Ireland, and um, I, I would have touched on PRSI as being a component of the, the overall income tax charge in Ireland that, um, that we pay through our, um, through our payroll when we're employees or directors, or that we pay at the end of the year um, through the income tax system if we're self-employed. Um, there's generally two components to this if you're on a payroll working for a business or if you're an employer um, and employing um, staff. That, so we have what we call employee PRSI and employer PRSI. Uh, the employee PRSI is a, a deduction leveled on the employee themselves and there's differing rates of that, but the general rate is 4%. Um, if you take on an, an, a, 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 a staff in Ireland, you do have to pay employer PRSI. At this moment in time, we have two rates of that employer PRSI, the, the, the high and most common rate being just over 11%. And I think now the, the lower rate is just nearly 9%. So it's quite a significant extra cost um, to employing staff in Ireland. And unfortunately, it's only going one way because it's due to go up again. Um, it's due to go up again in the, in the years ahead. And separate to that as well in Ireland, we are... Um, we are introducing auto enrollment into, um, into pension schemes for employees, which we haven't had before. So if you're an employer, you have to make a contribution to your employees, um, you know, private pension. And then also we're bringing in mandatory sick pay. So in Ireland, a lot of, I suppose, smaller employers wouldn't have a, a sick pay policy for their, for their employees and the employees would have to depend on the state for that. It's going to become mandatory. So we estimate that in 2025, which is just over three years away, um, aside from inflation and everything else, the cost of employing staff is going to increase by about 16 to 18% to take account of all of this. So anybody thinking of setting up a, a business in Ireland that will employ staff should be um, mindful of that. 
So this PRSI, what this does, this goes into a, into a fund that funds the, the different benefits that the Irish um, that the Irish state pay out. And we've different classes of this PRSI, the social insurance, depending on your depending on your circumstances and depending on the nature of your, your work and your or your employment. The two main classes that I'm going to touch on, one is the most common class, which is class A, and this generally applies to um to all employees that are that aren't business owners essentially. The class S um the, the class S um, side of it then is for essentially self-employed people and company directors that would have a, a controlling interest in their business. Um, so this entitles obviously the main benefits are if you're out of work, you get job seekers benefit, it qualifies you for the state pension in Ireland, which is quite advantageous and um, about 270 euros a week once you meet a certain number of um uh, you know of contributions over the years for this you you, you know you, you qualify for an Irish state pension which is a, a you know a, a, a relatively valuable thing they've increased the, the the claiming age of it it's now um it's now 66 and they're they're trying to bring it up to 68 but if you live till you're 100 it's not a bad return for someone who may come and live and work in Ireland for a period of their lives um, the self-employed people, basically the differences between what they get and what the, the, um, the employee, uh, employed persons would get, they don't qualify as things stand for illness benefit, for carers benefit, for health and safety benefit, or for occupational injuries benefit. And these are a range of benefits that's there um, under the social insurance provision and fund in Ireland that all of this PRSI goes into that's, um, that's levied on income, ta uh, levied on profits and levied on wages in Ireland. So um, my final slide is just some general points that just to, um, to talk through and give my thoughts on and just to make you aware if you're not already, if you're not already aware and it, it impacts any of you that are listening in. Um, so the first is the SARP relief. So this is the Special Assignee Relief Programme. Uh, relief. This came in some years ago and the purpose of this relief is to, you know, for Irish incorporated businesses to be able to attract the type of talent that they need at the I suppose the upper managerial levels because we do have quite a high um, income tax regime in Ireland and it kicks in at an early stage so if you're a single person over 35,000 you're going to be paying close to 50% of your income over 35,000 uh, on, uh, on, on the personal taxes in Ireland so this relief has has the effect of um, for higher paid um, higher paid um, executives who come and work in Ireland, a portion of their income above 75,000 is exempt from income tax. And the 75,000 beginning point goes up to half a million. So um, for, as I say, highly paid executives, it's one uh, measure that's there that can, um, I suppose, make Ireland some bit competitive um, in a you know in in a very competitive global space for top talent and for top executives, we have a three-year corporation tax exemption, which is beneficial or can be very beneficial for entrepreneurial people that have an idea and they want to come and live and work in Ireland and set a business up here with that. And basically, if you set a business up in Ireland and pay staff um, or employ staff and pay social insurance on behalf of those those staff that you employ, you can get a credit for that social insurance against your corporation tax bill. So you can earn close to a million euros in your first three years in taxable profits. You may not have to pay any corporation tax 
on that if you are employing staff. So again, quite a useful uh, measure that's there for someone that has a business idea um, and that you, you know that is prepared to come or bring a level of investment into Ireland to, to get it off the ground. Um, we have what, what's called benefit in kind in Ireland and BIK. So this is a tax on benefits that uh, if you're a business owner and you have a, a company arrangement and um, you can't really use your company your company and um, cash, your company profits to, you know, to pay for benefits on your behalf. And um, so obviously the likes of accommodation and um, vehicles and um, that sort of thing. We've a, a, a tax measure that's there to counter the effect of that, where essentially they tax you on the notional value of the benefits that you um, that you receive. Again, we do have some exemptions to that, that uh, we would recommend and most of our clients um, avail of those exemptions that's there uh, one of the bigger ones being on the vehicle side of things you can actually drive an electric vehicle in Ireland there's no benefit in kind tax on that um, at all uh, once you don't go above a car of a certain value and um, so that's quite advantageous for a business owner um, and then we've a, you know we've a sequence of sort of smaller benefit in kind measures that this time of the year coming up to Christmas we can give our staff and we can give ourselves a 500 euro voucher and there's no tax implication on that. But important to note that if you are getting, if you are involved in the business or if you are going to come over to take employment here and you have a package in front of you that has perks on it, the likes of health insurance and that type of thing, that there is this extra tax implication called benefit and kind that will impact on your, on your net take home pay from your, from your overall package. Um, an area that we, we would do a lot of with our clients is on the pension the pension side of things and we do have um i suppose the most significant tax breaks or at least some of the most significant tax breaks that's in the irish system for business people and for highly paid employees are on the pension uh, the pension contribution side of things and um, particularly for business owners who would set up a as a limited company and and they become director shareholders and um, by utilizing what uh, the measures that's there um, under executive pension schemes in Ireland where they can extract a very, very significant level of their, their business annual profits into a, into a pension scheme that they can then in turn um, accumulate value and wealth through, you know, with the objective of um, self-directing it down the road would be a common approach that most of our, most of our uh, I suppose, successful business owners would adopt with that and um, as I say very tax efficient because you get tax breaks if you pay the if you pay the pension contributions yourself you, you do get a, a a break from the income tax subject to certain levels on that and even more so in a company structure the company can fund quite excessive levels of contribution depending on your the level of pension provisioning and your salary and your age and, and, and some factors like that um, for business owners as well in Ireland, we do have um, a number of measures that are there to give relief for um, people who are successful in business and successful in life that they, um, that they can avail of these reliefs on the sale of a business. So the first one is what we call entrepreneur's relief. And this has the effect of if you set up a business and sell it, you, can, you, you only have to pay 10% capital gains tax on the first 1 million euros of proceeds of that sale. Um, again, subject to a number of conditions and T's and C's and so forth. But uh, 
a useful enough a useful enough relief to have and um, there's no age limit at that and so anybody who sets up a business once you've worked in the business for generally three years you can avail of this entrepreneur's relief if someone you know if someone uh, or if you if it's a sellable business retirement relief is um for irish business owners who come to your retirement um stage and basically uh, not too dissimilar to entrepreneurial relief, although there are some differences in the conditions. Um, you can sell a business or you can retire from a business um, and you can get up to 750000 um, without paying any tax whatsoever on that. Um, it, the retirement age is typically 55 for that. Um, for, I suppose, businesses and for business owners that would have aspirations uh, of um, transacting in the millions as opposed to thousands, and an Irish holding company can be a very useful vehicle and a very useful structure for um, for wealthy entrepreneurial people. And that we, you know, the main advantage of an Irish holding company structure is that you can sell your subsidiary your subsidiary investment interests in 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 in, in, in businesses, and there's no and um, there's no tax whatsoever at Irish holding company low, Irish holding company level. Um, and again, we would do a lot of work around that, like where and uh, we come across clients who. Um, have very strong trading companies um, likely to be sold at some point in the future and um, early planning with, you know, with getting an Irish holding company in place um, so that they can sell their, sell their um, or plan, have the, 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 the plan in place to sell their company in the years to come um, without incurring a tax charge. Can also give a vehicle for extracting um, surplus profits out of um, surplus profits out of a you know a, a good strong trading company where the where the owners and the shareholders want um, you know want to reinvest those profits into something else separate to the trade of the the trade of the company. Um, so there are that, that that concludes my slides, guys. And that gives you um, an overview of um, I suppose the, the 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 tax regime in Ireland and specifically the tax regime from a I suppose a business owner perspective or for someone coming to take up employment in Ireland. So happy to go through and um, with Darren we'll, we, any of the queries that came in and we'll give you our thoughts on it. Right, fantastic. Thank you, Damien, for that comprehensive overview as usual. We have been getting your questions, which we've added to the queue. So normally, uh, well, previously, I would have gone through stuff on the U.S. side, but I, I think that's a bit redundant. So what I will do, as we've been doing for the past uh, two or three installments of this, is just jumping into the, the Q&A part of it. So the first question that was uh, submitted is, how is crypto treated in Ireland versus the, the US? So I'll just talk about it from, from the US perspective first, really quickly. So there are two, well, first of all, in 2014, the IRS issued, I think it was notice 2014-21. And then in 2019, uh, there was uh, an official revenue ruling. I think that was 2019-24. So basically it's treated as property. So it's not recognized as a security or, or whatever. So what um, I'm assuming now that you are looking at it as an investor. If it is your trader, st the stuff that I'm saying may not apply. So I'm assuming that you're an investor, right? So if you're an investor, uh, the list of, let's say, taxable events has been expanded as a result of that revenue ruling in 2019. So 
everyone knew, obviously, when you convert uh, crypto to fiat, that will be seen as a taxable event, right? But right now, as a result of the, the expanded rulings that we have, if it is that you are trading one crypto for another crypto, taxable. Spending crypto to purchase goods or services, maybe taxable. Or earning crypto as income, that may be taxable as well. So the definition is, is pretty wide. And then in terms of how the crypto is valued to, for short or long-term capital gains, uh, you are able, I mean, previously people would, in a side of caution and everyone was using FIFO, first in, first out, but the rules allow us to use FIFO, first in, first out, LIFO, last in, first out, as well as HIFO, highest in, first out. So there's, there's some level of flexibility. But again, I'm talking about investors, not traders. Traders is a whole different ballgame. And that, that's it from the US perspective. Damien? Yeah, very similar, I think, Darren. So it, it would be a, a chargeable event for a capital gains tax transaction, uh, uh, selling crypto or trading one crypto for another. Um, in Ireland, we would be, it, 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 I would have thought it would be on the FIFO method as well um, with that. Okay, gotcha. And moving on to the second question again about crypto. Uh, what about tax planning? strategies for crypto investors from a u.s perspective especially now that we're coming to the end of a calendar slash tax year i think loss harvesting is probably the most popular method where you are able to offset losses against gains so if it is that you are you you have any uh losses that are not yet realized so whatever coin that you've invested in may have gone down in value and you may be holding it against some that may have gone up in value and you do want to cash on and do something with it or, or whatever. Just remember that you're able to offset one against the other and the wash sale rules that apply to securities do not yet apply to crypto. So you can maintain a position. So you can book a loss and then in X number of days or weeks, you early on in the new year, you can reacquire that token and the wash sale rules don't apply. So you can enjoy that loss harvesting strategy. For in terms of longer term strategies, we are referring people to an attorney that we work with to talk about opportunity zone funds. So opportunity funds, but bear in mind that there's a lockup period and it can be quite complex, but it is an option available. And of course, Puerto Rico, but we, if you're in Ireland, then, you know, Puerto Rico doesn't come in. But with the U.S., the thing is with the U.S. passport, you will be subject to U.S. taxes regardless of where you go. The only jurisdiction that you can still maintain a U.S. passport or green card and enjoy lower capital gains, generally speaking, is if you move to Puerto Rico. I know, and this, I know you didn't ask this, but I, people frequently contact me and ask whether just finding an offshore company somehow allows you to mitigate any taxes from a crypto perspective? The answer is generally no. It makes, there's no way in which you can just form a company and that somehow magically allows you to mitigate your capital gains taxes from a US perspective. So just to summarize from a US perspective, you can look at loss harvesting. You can look at opportunity zone funds if that's something that matches your investment appetite and if you're willing to leave ireland as puerto rico uh damien 
Yeah. So you call it loss, uh, loss harvesting, loss crystallization is how I'd call it. So if there is, if there's an opportunity there to crystallize any losses there to shelter it. Yeah. The, 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 depending on the level of holding that you have, we've came across some, um, some people in Ireland who like who have actually left and who have commenced a, a process of residence planning to get out of, um, you know, to get out of being resident here. And um, that's really where that, that's really the way it's it, where it's at. If you want, um, there, there's no other real way of avoiding it. And uh, obviously, uh, Portugal, Malta would be two uh, two of the jurisdictions that we see, and um, some of the big crypto players um, uh, exiting um, the, the, uh, from here in our experience as well, and and um, that's what we've came across. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for that, Damien. Next question. So. Uh, a 1099 contractor. Okay, so just to put it in, in in plain terms, so everyone can understand what this person, what I believe this person is asking. Please correct me if I'm mis, uh, misrepresenting your, your situation. Right, I just want to summarize it real quick. So you are an independent contractor. You work. You are self-employed. You're self-employed, and you have moved from the U.S. to Ireland, where you intend to continue to be self-employed as you were your clients are in the US. So the question is, what about social charges in Ireland? At what point does that become a concern for an independent contractor based in Ireland, Damien? Yeah, so I think with that, if you're, first of all, if you were an independent contractor and doing more than let's say 40K a year, I would probably be, saying you should be a limited company in Ireland. But failing that, if you're coming over and providing personal services as a registered sole trader, as we would call it in Ireland, mm -hmm. I think you would be okay from the date in which you come into Ireland. So if you come into Ireland early in the year and you are a resident in Ireland, I think it would only be from the day you come into Ireland. My reason I'm thinking on that is because prior to that, when you're in America or wherever it is that you are, it's classed as foreign income. And assuming you're coming to Ireland and you're not an Irish national in the first instance, you'll qualify for the remittance basis of taxation. So unless you're going to be remitting that money that you've earned prior to arrival in Ireland, I think you would be okay. But as I say, for even um, relatively modest levels of income around the 40K or 45K mark, we would you know, we would advocate that you're probably better off having a, having a company structure. Um, and if you had a company structure, you'd become an employee of that company and um, you would only be, um, you know, you, 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 you could potentially look at split year relief as well, where you only elect to be resident in Ireland from the date of your arrival and you're, you're, only, you're only taxable in Ireland on your employment income from that date. Um, so they would be the options as I would see it with that. Okay, wonderful. Hope that answers your question. If not, let us know. Moving on, the next question. So someone is, this person is not a, a sole proprietor, but, or an independent contractor. This person is an employee. And I guess just like, because I get this question a lot, I'm sure you do as well, Damien, because, you know, a lot of, especially the technology companies, they are extending apparently indefinitely the remote work policy. So you don't really need to return to the office anymore. So some people are working from different states and different countries as well. So this person is a full-time employee for an American employer and they decide to relocate to Ireland and work remotely from Ireland, but they're an employee. 
what consequences would that be uh, for the income that they earn? And I'm sure you've touched on this in, in the deck that you you already got. Yeah, through, so, so my, my right. take on that would be... Just secondly, just to add to, to that part, is there any risk to the employer back in the US as well? Over to you. Yeah, I think the employer would have employer obligations in Ireland. So if they're going to be, if the person is going to be um, living and working in Ireland indefinitely, I yeah. think that the, 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 the US employer, the foreign employer would have to register in Ireland and operate an Irish payroll under salary. And that's all it is. And it's quite common. We would do, we mm -hmm. would have quite a significant volume of payroll clients um, that would fall into that category. Um, and it's, 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 it's fairly straightforward. We, you, you get the, the foreign employer a, a tax reference number in Ireland and then just operate a payroll uh, on that. Um, just from a legal perspective, not quite sure from a legal side, is it Irish employment law or is it US employment law on that right. one? And that would be that that would be that that would be something to keep in mind as well um, on it too. Yeah. Right. And and uh, I just want to add in, as you mentioned that now, is there any risk uh, from at least from the Irish tax authority of this foreign, this US company? having permanent establishment or having a taxable presence in Ireland, maybe would they potentially be? I think it would depend on what the person is actually doing. Um, I and I right. think, I think, like if it's just a, 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 a person employed in a function of the business, um, mm -hmm. it's, I, I don't think there's any risk of a PE there. If the person mm -hmm. like has, let's say, the, the ability and... Um, authority to conclude contracts and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. I think there is, um, I think there is potential scope there in the in the double tax treaty where, um, in that scenario, um, potentially yes, a, a PE could exist. Um, but generally, if they're just performing a whatever it is, a, a general admin sales R and D, whatever the function is, it should it, there shouldn't be any concern for the foreign paymaster. Wonderful. So I'm going to skip the question after that because I think uh, Damien answered that as well. Uh, five months. Okay. Uh, another one from the sole proprietor or the independent contractor. So what if they work in Ireland remotely for that as an independent contractor, not as an employee? This is a previous person now. And they work for five months. So they don't trigger 183 days or anything like that. They just work remotely for five months and then they leave. Are there mm -hmm. any tax ramifications to that? I think it would be. I think it would be very difficult for the Irish tax office in Ireland if that was <laughs> to, to tie them down. And technically, um, it, I suppose it is Irish source income, but they're not going to be resident here. They're not going yeah. to be resident here anyway. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, I think they'd be safe enough with that one. Yeah, yeah. So, but but they. I mean, it's it's hard for anybody to figure it out. But the correct thing would the correct thing be for them to voluntarily walk themselves. I, back I think I think it depends on what their intention was on day one. Right. right. If okay. their intention yeah. was on day one that they were only going to be there for less than the residence, less than their their, their resident requirement, um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I don't think they would have a. I don't think they would have a, a registration requirement in that regard. But if they if they were coming to Ireland and let's say they'd signed a lease and the lease indicated that they were going to rent somewhere for a year, 
I think they would have to register in Ireland then, and I think they would have to pay their tax accordingly on that. So I think it, 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 the intention of the person yes. would be a, an important factor in that in that scenario. Um, and yeah. if they're strategically moving around and, and talking and diving, yes, they could be. And um, I'm sure if they if 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 the, if, if the tax authorities catch up on them. Um, they, 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 they might have some difficult questions to answer, put it that way. Okay, understood. And on, on that theme of mobility, right? If I were to acquire a Caribbean passport, uh, which I guess, you know, they can be purchased, uh, citizenship by investment, right? And I were to leave both, the, leave both Ireland and the US, would I be able to live tax-free? Uh, I'll answer that from a U.S. perspective. Uh, from a U.S. perspective, as I mentioned earlier, the answer is going to be no, because as long as you hold on to that U.S. passport or U.S. green card, then you will be subject to taxes in your worldwide income, regardless of where you reside. So it makes no difference where you go. It makes no difference where you go. The only way around that is in addition to acquiring this Caribbean passport that you're talking about, you would also need to relinquish your U.S. passport and or green card if that, that applies to you. What about from an Irish perspective? From an Irish perspective, it depends mm -hmm. on whether they're an Irish person or a, a, a non-Irish person. If they're a non-Irish person and they go and uh, cease being resident in Ireland and take up residence in the Caribbean, they're, they're safe enough. If they're an Irish, assuming that they have no Irish source income, of course, if the Irish source income, such as rents or something like that, or I see one of the comments there, but having a holiday home, if it was a holiday home in Ireland and there was rent um, coming in on that or whatever, or, um, they, they, they'd have to pay tax in Ireland on that. But that should be the extent of what they would be caught in Ireland for uh, as regards their total worldwide income. Okay. All right. Hope that helps this person. Moving, I'm moving to another set of questions now. I am a U.S. citizen. My partner is Irish. We file Irish taxes, but I haven't filed U.S. taxes since 2016. My partner is self-employed. I receive X amount from business to make my PRSI contributions. Do I need to file U.S. taxes? So you'd need to really speak about, to speak to an advisor who knows your situation inside out because it's so different there's so many different categories of income, but generally speaking, just generally speaking, if you, for example, file married separately, which may be the case if you are married to a non-US person, you'd file as married filing separately. The threshold is actually $5. The filing threshold is $5. So if you've made more than five US dollars for the year, then a tax return is due. Now, of course, taxes may not be payable to the US because Generally speaking, taxes in Ireland may be higher than in, in the US, but a tax return may still be due. And in that tax return, there's, there's a calculation of taxes payable, if any, but there's also an asset declaration. So you'd need to declare uh, bank accounts that you may have in, in Ireland or maybe even pension plan, personal or whatever. Your, your pension plans may be or, or investment plans. You may have investment structures or whatever. So there's the tax calculation, but there's also the asset declaration to keep in mind. Now, if you have not filed for a while, there is a way of playing catch up. There's a, 
a program that's an amnesty program for the U.S. and it's amnesty in all but name. It's called the Streamlined Compliance Procedure. And so what it requires you to do is just file the last three years which due date has already passed. So this, in this case, right now we'd be talking at the time of filming this, it'll be 2020, 19 and 18. And so even though you may not have filed for a year before that, that's okay. Because the statute of limitations says to look back is only three years. So you file the last three years and the IRS agrees to turn a blind eye to the income that you may have earned before that. And you've, you would of course pay the taxes due, if any, together with interest. But more importantly, you would legally avoid civil and criminal penalties that may apply. So it's a, it's a really, really, really good deal. So I encourage you speak to ourselves or whoever you, your chosen tax team is about the streamlined compliance procedure. So hope that helps. Moving down the list of questions that we have here. Uh, how is a holiday home taxed? And I asked, where is it? Okay, so if it's a holiday home and it's being rented out, when, when you're not enjoying it, of course, from a US perspective, of course, US is gonna tax on your worldwide income regardless of where the income is derived or where you are. So that holiday home will be subject to US tax reporting and tax calculations. Uh, Damien? Yeah, so if you have a Irish holiday home and you rent it out, you're always gonna pay tax in Ireland on, on, on the rent. You will also have to pay your, obviously your local property tax. Um, so depending on where the holiday home is, the rates of the local property tax have gone up in the last, well, they're going up from next year actually. So it wasn't so bad um, up until now, but there, there, there is a bit of a jump in it. And so it depends on the value of the property. If it's, um, you know, if it's a couple of hundred grand, it's generally a couple of hundred euros a year. But as you get closer up to the mill and as you go beyond the mill, it is quite a burden on a property. Um, so uh, keep that in mind. We, uh, you file an annual return to pay the tax on your rent um, in Ireland, and that's how it works. If you have a letting agent, um, if you have a letting agent in situ managing the rents for you, they will generally withhold 20% of the gross rents as they're obliged to do. And um, the tenants are supposed to withhold 20% as well, but very few tenants would be aware of that obligation. And um, up until, uh, up, uh, once your level of rental profit that you, that you make from letting out Irish property doesn't go above 35,000 a year, you're not going to be taxed any more than 20 something odd percent on that. But if it does go above 20, or sorry, 35,000, you will jump up to 40 something percent on the balance thereafter. So that would be for investors. And there are quite a few international investors that would own multiple properties in Ireland. So um, the tax is quite high on it. Okay, thank you for that. Moving on to the next question uh, that we receive. If you receive an inheritance from someone in the US, how is this gonna be taxed? So from a US perspective, it's, it's, it's pretty easy because in the US, we have estate taxes and they're levied on the estate. So this is the, the responsibility of the, whoever's managing the assets of the person who has passed away. They're responsible for estate taxes. Someone who is receiving doesn't normally pay any inheritance tax. Now there are some exceptions at the state level, whether the federal level, no. And I'm assuming that you are in Ireland, so the state issue won't apply. So that answers it from the U.S. point of view. What about Ireland, Damien? 
So in Ireland, if you're a US person that has been living in Ireland, you would have to be living in Ireland for more than five years and resident here for capital acquisitions tax to apply. So if you haven't been, if you've only moved to Ireland within the last five years, you should be okay. And assuming there's no Irish situate assets and assuming that the person who passed away um, is a US citizen themselves, you would be out of the tax net. Uh, just, to, to, just to point out the capital acquisitions tax in Ireland, how that works is we've three different um, categories. So we've category A, B and C, depending on your relationship with the person who um, who has either passed away in the case of inheritance of inheritance or who's gifted, um, who has made you a gift, that determines uh, the threshold and the group that you fall into. And each group has a, has a tax-free threshold, essentially. Um, so you don't pay tax until you receive a gift or inheritance above that level in your, in your, in your category. That's how it works in Ireland. Mm. Okay, understand. So just, just to be clear, the, the tax is the responsibility of the person receiving it, not yes, the person. Yes, if they're, if, they're, if, yeah, if, they're, if, they're, if they're in receipt of it, yes. Gotcha. Thank you for that. All right, moving on to the next question. Can you work remotely if you own a holiday home without triggering the Irish income tax, as long as you don't stay longer than five months in your holiday home in Ireland? So remember, it's it's five months in one year, but if you spend five months in 2020 and five months in 2021, you are going to be resident in Ireland by virtue of the look back. So always watch for that. Mm -hmm. But if you if you were to reword the question a different way, and if you said you're only going to spend three months in your holiday home in Ireland um, in both years, then uh, technically you're not going to be tax resident in Ireland. Um, my only sort of the, 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 the final, I suppose, hurdle for you to jump on that was that's assuming you are tax resident somewhere else and you're not actually a resident anywhere. And um, in an unlikely scenario where the Irish tax authorities got wind of that or got visibility on it and took a case again you to make, deem you tax resident in Ireland um, by virtue of Ireland being your centre of um, vital and economic interests and all of that and by having this holiday home available to you for three months of the year and um, mm -hmm. so that would be my only proviso on that but no generally if you if you manage your days and keep a good log of your days and you are tax resident elsewhere you shouldn't have any problem in that regard okay so, so just to be clear as long as it do not pass three months over 24 well it's actually even a little bit more so it, it's it's right. it's 140 days each year on average and you could okay. do 150 day, 150 days one year and 129 days the next year or vice versa and you would be okay so it's 280 days between the, the two the two years but as, as the question was asked on five months you would actually be slightly over so i think maybe four months you're probably okay as well i use three but you're probably okay with four as well okay wonderful Thank you very much for that. So for those who want to follow up with Damien, Damien, what's the best ways that someone can find you? Find me on email, damien at maloneaccountants.ie on LinkedIn. You'll find my profile if you Google my name. Uh, you can follow our social media uh, channels and all that as well between Facebook and Twitter, Twitter and whatnot. And of course, by good old email as well. So more than happy to um, to, 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 to respond to any email inquiries that you have if anyone didn't want to ask a, a question on the, on the chat. 
Fantastic. And for those who want to share this, uh, this will be available for viewing on HGJ.tax as well as on uh, YouTube. And for those who prefer podcasts, we are available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon, basically wherever you find your favorite podcasts, you can find us there as well. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. Bye-bye. Here are four ways we can help you. Number one, sign up for free webinars on U.S. Expat Texas and International Entrepreneur Texas at www.htj.tex. Number two, stream premium educational videos at www.htj.tex. Number three, contact us for tax optimization consult over Zoom. Number four, high net worth. We can quote for doing your U.S. international taxes returns. Our books and upcoming events are available at htj.tax. Please subscribe, like, share, and comment below. Email us at help at htj.tax to engage us to advise on international tax or business matters.